Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. And today, I have Jim Sherwood on here with us today. We're going to be talking about a lot of really interesting things. The first is really about how we're moving in government, and while we've been moving in government, to more of these contract vehicles. A lot of things are getting dominated by that, so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to talk a little bit about their tool, Federal Compass, which I think is an awesome tool. Just for full transparency to everybody, we are affiliate partners with Federal Compass love the tool. It's the first tool, Jim, that I've looked at in years that I thought had the potential to replace a lot of the stuff we do with Sam.gov. It's hard to fully replace what you do with Sam.gov, but it's it's one of the few tools that I was like, man, this has the potential to replace what I'm doing with Sam.gov. So kudos to that. So before we get into the topic, though, I really want to give you an opportunity to tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Michael. We really appreciate this. Super excited to be on this call today. So just a little bit about me. Um, started off in this market in 2005, worked at one of our major competitors, now Input, which merged into GovWin, then was recruited out to run a consulting or a market intelligence practice for mm-hmm. a consulting firm. To your point, I realized that what was sort of being sold wasn't what was necessary to achieve success in this market. So got back together with a close friend of mine I worked with for about 10 years at my previous post. We started off Federal Compass and our focus is not to go back to the well where everyone's at, that, you know, here's some opportunities. It's the idea of how do I get those growth catalysts? How do I make sure my company grows? I follow customers. I find the right team and partners very much from a consulting point of view, which I think is missed very much in this market. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, once a company gets to a certain size, how its focus changes. So then you take some of those people and kind of almost like that Jerry Maguire moment, right? Where you hop out of the big company into the smaller company with you and your assistant and your fish, and you start over with something really cool and just kind of decide to change the world. So the topic we're going to be talking about today is an interesting one about how this market is being dominated for the last, I don't know, several years. And there's no real indication that it's going to slow down about moving towards more of these contract vehicles. We're seeing a lot more of that. On the one hand, as a taxpayer, it's like, hey, this should be better for me. It should ensure better pricing and all these other things. But yet on the other hand, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to get the best products or services right? Of who can compete and all that kind of stuff. I see a lot of challenges with this. And so I thought it'd be a really good topic for us to kind of dig into and and see what the nuances are of this and just kind of get your thoughts. So with that ground floor set there, what do you see as probably the biggest three or four impacts that, you know, these contract vehicles have caused for the market? I think that there's a differentiation that that has to be made. In the mid-2000s, there was this point in time where if you wanted to rate how things are actually competed and you were to take obligations and you sum those together and you say, what's spending the most out of there? What was happening through SAM.gov stalled out? And what you saw was the IDIQ start to race up. So your things like Seaport, some of your bigger agency-specific IDIQs. And then right behind that became GWAX. And then GWAX pretty much in two markets, in IT and professional services, it overtook everything. And SAM.gov has just completely stalled out in those to a point to where when you're looking at IT, nine out of every $10 goes through a contract vehicle or a GWAC. For those that are on SAM, it's really important to understand that the agencies are addicted to GWACs. They're addicted to IDIQs. Streamlined, easy. Why compete it yourself when it's already out there? So I think the biggest thing is the impact on the buying trends of the federal government. They have found a much easier way to avoid, not always, but avoid protest 
protest and get the solution into their hands much, much faster, but do it when a set of contractors has already been heavily vetted. On the GWAC side, especially with GSA, they'll take care of the contracting struggle for you. It really has become a benefit for the federal government to go do that. And I think they're losing some of their capability to say, we're not happy here. We're going to go back to SAM.gov. That's very challenging. So I think one is the idea, the trend is there. They found it very easy. Two is the fact that once they started using that, the ability to go back to SAM.gov has really atrophied. I think the third one is the fact that you're running into companies that don't necessarily understand what a task order management center of excellence is or a GUX center of excellence. These things run fast. As soon as they come out, you have weeks, you don't have months or years. What you see is this significant differentiation. Take any contract vehicle or GWAC out there. The top 10% of contractors, which could be three, could be 20, they own 70 or 80% of all spending. And then you have dozens, if not hundreds, again, depending on the contract vehicle, mm-hmm. of contractors who are doing that other 20%, but that's divided among a massive number. And so you have the companies that are very good at this, very focused on this, who succeed every time they're on a vehicle. You have other companies that are floundering because they don't have the cultural process. The BD incentives are not built around task orders. They're built around contracts. They say, go win us contracts, go chase contracts. And I think the fourth thing sort of in line with that is it's really blown a hole in the model of pipeline management. And it's really blown a hole in the idea of what is customer intimacy and how do you actually gain it? Vehicles are offering that ability in combination with schedules with the right strategy to be able to say, I can take a low cost shot at gaining some customer intimacy through a schedule task order, through a contract vehicle task order, rather than that big swing on a $150 million job where I've got me and my 1,000 best friends who are looking at that same work. There's some insulation on a contract vehicle. It's really changed to an influencing market, not so much sort of the hockey version of a dump and chase. It's out there, let's all chase it. That is 2000's process. Now it's get in front of the customer, get to know them, influence it, move it to the vehicle that fits you best. With all that happening now, I think it's a net negative for many contractors in this market, but a net positive for the select few who are growing year over year. Those are some great insights. Did you know we have our own community for government contractors? It's called Federal Access. Just visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers and you can get 50% off your first month. This thing is packed full of all kinds of resources, templates, documents, strategy guides, everything you need to be a government contractor. And it gets you in our inner circle where you have direct access to myself and my partner, Josh Frank. So go check it out today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's get back into this episode. You know, one of the things that I always tell the newbies, so if you're brand new in government contracting, if SAM.gov is what you're relying on, you're only going to see 20% of the opportunities in your space, maybe. And they're like, why isn't everything on there? I'm like, well, we start getting into the contract vehicle discussion. There's all these contract vehicles that you're not on and you're not going to see those task orders. You're just not. If you're only seeing 20% of the opportunities in your space, now it's extremely competitive for you to go after those 20% because there's how many other companies that are just like you brand new in the market and all they're doing is chasing SAM.gov opportunities. And then there's people that are embedded with a customer who know those opportunities are coming and they're preparing to get on those and and stuff like that. So it's a really interesting evolution where I, I think government has evolved, but it hasn't trickled down to a lot of the companies, even companies that have been in the business for five, 10 years come to me 
me and I say, well, talk to me about your your strategy, your pipeline strategy. How do you put things in your pipeline? They're like, well, whatever comes out on Sam.gov is how we put it in our pipeline. This is companies that have been in business for 10 years and that's still their strategy. I go back to, and I'll probably refer to this several times in this podcast. It's probably my favorite lines ever is who buys what you sell is the first thing you need to figure out. And then how they buy what you sell is second. If who buys what you sell is primarily buying on a contract vehicle that you can't even get on, you might be locked out of the market. There's a lot of really interesting challenges like that. And if you can get on that contract vehicle, you got to learn it even exists. What if it isn't one of those major ones, like you mentioned, Seaport and some other stuff. Polaris just opened up again as we were recording this. So there's contract vehicles that you've heard of, and then there's stuff you've never heard of. I had a client the other day, he was getting ready to fly to overseas. I won't say where to kind of project the client here. He was getting ready to fly overseas. And he said, I'm going to try and find out how these people are buying what we're selling. He's like, I can't figure it out. And so we literally got in one of the systems and I'm like, there's an Air Force maintenance contract and there's 10 primes on it. And you're not one of them. That's why you don't hear about any of this money. You know, and it's some obscure Air Force maintenance contract that they were using to do that. There's another one. I had a client, he sells appliances. He's like, Mike, I don't understand why people in Missouri are buying refrigerators through Huntsville, Alabama. And you dig in for a few minutes and you're like, well, the guys in Huntsville manage this contract. So the guy in, in Missouri says, I need a refrigerator or five refrigerators. Oh, we have access to XYZ contract vehicle, but I have to send that through Huntsville, you know, and they make the request and get it done. So it, it's very interesting. So with all of that landscape there, how do you feel that small companies can remain competitive in a market like this? I think that that's really challenging. I, I, I would say the market right now, whether you're large or small or someone getting ready to graduate or first entrance, it's never been more challenging. Our customers come to us and they sell very nuanced things. They know the government's buying it and they say, hey, we have to be able to find it. But when you go and actually look, where is the government buying this from? It's off of schedules. It's off of contract vehicles. And at that point in time, you're also getting into, hey, you sell something that, you know, yes, there's, there's the IT shops out there. There's the professional services shop. But if you're a commodity company and that's what you sell, all that matters is getting in front of and having a customer actually know you because they're going to do simplified acquisition. They're going to get three quotes and they're going to go buy it. Who they're going to buy it from has access to those actual vehicles. So what I would say is before you start creating the identity of your company, before you start creating your actual marketing, understand how the government is going to buy, to your point, what you're going to sell and start looking for teaming partners. Your identity needs to follow because you need to stand out from the crowd. Anyone on that vehicle as a prime has their pick of who they want to go team with or if they want to sub somebody out. So you have to be able to say why I do this better than anybody else. And if you're sitting on Sam waiting, you're missing out on that customer intimacy. You're missing out on that past performance and you're not going to gain it any other way. I think this market right now for a new entrant could not be any more challenging or any more difficult because it's almost a B2B environment for those companies. Mm. It's not a B2G because you're selling an idea and you need to show them why you have the experts on staff, you have maybe the commercial past performance that's better than somebody that they have right now. Or what I always try to tell people is in most cases, a lot of these new entrants, it's by somebody who is either at a larger contractor or they were just in the government, you have connections. So it's not about, I need to get on that vehicle. It's about who on that vehicle can't get into the customer I know really well. Mm. That is worth gold. Now you're not looking at CACI 
guy who's running a certain vehicle, right? They win everything. Look at the fifth or sixth person down who's really good at what they do. They don't have that customer intimacy. If you bring that to them, that is valuable. So in a teaming process, sending an email saying, I want to team with you, <laughs> you're not going to have success. Give no. them a reason, bring them a pipeline of task orders you could influence that you could affect through either your capability or your customer intimacy. That's going to be the fastest way to start bringing in revenue. And once you've done that, you can buy the time. But the problem is waiting five years to get back on that vehicle when you have no past performance and you're probably not going to win a seat. That is just simply sitting in the water with the engine turned off. The current's going to carry you. You have no control. Yeah, yeah. I'd certainly say focus on teaming, find a way to build revenue until you can get on one of those vehicles as a prime, but don't just wait on Sam. I love that advice. And it, it's right in line with what we are always telling people. Most companies win their first few contracts through teaming anyway. Why are you afraid of teaming? Mostly it's an ego thing. I've got to be the prime. I've got to be the prime. I've got to have control. Well, guess what? You don't have control and you have zero say in changing this for X number of years because the government's just not going to do it. They've set up a contract vehicle. That's the way they're going to do business. That's just the way it is. You know, you've got to be good at working with these primes. And so for me, I do feel like there's not always a direct path. So sometimes it is an indirect path of trying to bring some smaller opportunities that aren't even on that type of contract vehicle or even with that client where you can say, hey, I have a WSB opportunity. I have an 8A opportunity and I'd like for you to team with us on this to open the door strategically to bigger conversations with that prime. And people are like, no, I just want to go and get on this as a sub. That may not be the best way to do it. If you're bringing nothing to them, you're like a hundred other companies that have already done that. Yeah. And I think there's a very interesting conversation there where I get that there are egos involved and I get that there's a cultural barrier that's preventing some of the large companies from thinking this way. But I think over the next several years, as they realize that the seven, eight, nine, 10% growth in budget is gone. We're going to be in a flat budget. These large systems integrators can't win 100% of their recompetes and everyone else looking to grow is chasing after the same stuff that they're chasing. Being effective at subcontracting on their side is where they're going to be able to augment losses and start to have growth yep. as they try to chase after the big home runs, which they're going to lose most of them. That's just the actual reality. So as a small business, work with companies. And then when you can do a flip into I've got enough past performance, but I found a Polaris, I found a Oasis Plus, where I can use some of your past performance to prop me up and get you into small business. They're going to start to understand that is a strategy for growth in this market. Because unfortunately, even if bombs drop somewhere else, the budget is just too big. And so now right. everyone, all this massive infrastructure of contractors that we have, they all have to eat. And some people are going to start to starve and they're going to start finding new inventive ways. And I think a lot of it is going to be teaming. So find those partners, figure out ways to help them yeah. get the revenue they will pay it back to you in the future. I 100% agree. And I think we've talked to a lot of like Fortune 500 companies that are in government over the last two years. Every single one that we've talked to have all had the teaming partner challenge where we've said, where does teaming fall in your strategy? And they're like, what do we need that for? We're a multi-billion dollar company. Why do we need to team? Because it can open up all this revenue. <laughs> Is that a good enough reason? And hey, guess what? You don't have access to all these skills. You know, you were talking about expertise and different things. Guess what? We're in a, an environment where staffing is probably the number one issue for every company on the planet. And if I can team and bring those people to the game, then hey, that solves a major problem. I just think a lot of people aren't 
always thinking about that. What advice do you have for companies that are in an industry that is purely dominated by contract vehicles? I've seen some companies come to us and say, hey, we're looking to get in this market. It's an oil and gas market. It's some other, not necessarily janitorial, but some other building type of thing. Or like, man, this is locked up. That's locked up. This is locked up. What is your advice to those? And it may be similar to the teaming discussion there, but I don't know if you have any extra advice for those where they look at it. And it's not the normal guy where, hey, 80% may be locked up. In this situation, it's everything seems locked up on a contract vehicle. When you say that SAM.gov, again, if you go back to the idea and you rank everything based off a fiscal year, sum of all the obligations that come off of it, the reality is that the reason that SAM is still even relevant is because of architecture and construction and research and development. Things like blue collar, when you look at facilities management, facility support, they're either going through the O3 FAC, that old schedule, which is the MAS right now, or regionally, you're having the Army, the Navy, VA all stand up something to take care of that because they've realized there's a better way to get to a better price point to a better level of contractor if we vet it first. And with Oasis Plus gearing up, which is going to have some of that stuff in there, now you're going to open up the task order capability to the entire government. The point you bring up of, I have no market. And I think a lot of commodity companies are running into this. I think it's one of those things where you can certainly change what the direction is, but it is one of those things that if you're looking to get in this market, know this stuff first, because the idea it's going to take you six times as long and it's going to be six times as expensive, there are multiples now based off the market that you're in, because you're going to have to wait a while. You have to wait a while for your GSA schedule. You have to wait a while to get on one of these vehicles. So I think the thing is, is turning around. Is there a reseller I can go to? Is there someone I can get my product in front of? I need to drive revenue somehow. How can I be uniquely inventive about this? But it's also the idea of understanding what you sell. And and I find a lot of those markets where it's almost 100% within the arena of task orders, you're looking at costs that are below low simplified acquisition cost. So the idea is find someone that buys what you buy. Again, you have to know who's buying this. And it may not be who you want to sell to because you don't know. You need to get in front of them. You need to start marketing. You need to go on their short list of, I have something. And if I happen to send it through a normal channel, even if it's through Sam.gov, I need three quotes. And so I can get work to you if I like what you're actually selling. So when you find my market doesn't exist anywhere on Sam.gov, we're not talking about million dollar, $10 million, $50 million deals, we're talking about 24,000 or or 15,000. There are procedures the government can can go through to make that much easier on you where they're reducing the amount of competition. So Mm -hmm. it's knowing this market and knowing how it works. More importantly, it's not just customer intimacy. It's them knowing you and why you're actually really valuable. Now, all of a sudden you're in that Rolodex and you're buying yourself some time to get revenue, to get past performance and get on one of those vehicles. Again, understand how the government works, understand how a procurement can can happen. Educate your contracting officers. Don't expect them to be educated. Certainly specialists, but they are not brought into this world knowing everything about contracting. So be very innovative. And I think in that way, you can drive enough revenue to keep the lights on as you build your channels, both as a teaming partner and as a direct prime on a contract that gives you what you need to get. You can still keep the lights on until you get where you need to be. But if you just wait around, then you're putting yourself into that very sad story of companies that flame out in this market, which I think you're going to see happen 
much more than it typically yeah. does, which is already a pretty high number. I wholeheartedly agree. You know, we've kind of talked a little bit about SAM.gov kind of in and around the edges here a little bit. It's one of those things where whether you're using SAM or a tool, I think the most underrated thing that any company does is research. You said it multiple times, getting to know the market. People don't take the time to get to know the market. I always put it this way to our clients, slow down so that you can go faster. You will beat your head against the wall for months or years wondering why you can't get into an agency or sub-agency. And then you realize, oh, they don't buy what I sell. But if we had done that research on the front end, we could have shifted all of our effort to a whole other agency. But people are like, I feel like I need to sell to the Air Force. I feel like I need to sell to Fort Hood. I feel like I need to sell to fill in the blank. You can't run a business based on those kind of feelings. It's foolish to me when all the data is at your fingertips. All the data is right there to say, here's who buys what you sell. Here's how they buy what you sell. Here's the names of the people. There's all these things that help you. But for whatever reason, and I don't think this is on business owners. I think this is on maybe consultants in the market. I think it it might be on other people. And you see a lot of these, whether it's a TikTok video or a YouTube video that says, you want to get a piece of this trillion dollar pie? Get an account on SAM.gov. Yeah. You know, it used to be FBO. Get an account on FBO and just start putting in bids. I think the movie War Dogs was one. We're going to show you all how to make millions of dollars. You're all getting an account on SAM.gov and you're just going to bang away quotes all day until we win stuff, right? That's the mentality that's been pushed in the market instead of this sophisticated research base so that you can literally do this in minutes. Like I can know more about, you know, somebody that sells hand soap. I can know more about their market in 15 minutes than they've learned in the last 10 years because they're not looking at the research. That's my research soapbox, which I think transitions into the SAM.gov. I think there are a lot of people that are continuing to rely on just that. And yet there's all these contract vehicles that they're not going to see. In kind of like our pre-show discussion, we were talking about how there's people that are going to die off because of their over-reliance on SAM. As kind of our closing thoughts here, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. What that comes down to is it comes down to a lot of assumptions. I assume the Air Force is going to buy this. I have no idea that DLA is actually buying it. I make assumptions based off the mission what somebody's going to buy. Or I hire people that have assumptions and they tell me this is what's going to happen. So I would tell everyone that's a small business owner out there getting in this market or looking at a small business that's growing or looking at a small business going to graduate out of 8A, you should not send anybody to do this research. You should do this research because you need to be able to manage your pipeline. You need to be able to understand your pipeline. You need to understand your account planning. And if your account planning does not match objective truth, but it matches assumptions, that's a really, really bad place to be. So I would say certainly, you know, tools out there, certainly a tool like ours, right? It's very user-friendly and it allows you to dive deep into a market and start understanding what the market is doing. And therefore, does my pipeline match the market? Do my account plans match the market? If they don't, that's indication number one that you've been driving a company based off of assumptions and what you would mm-hmm. like to see happen. Problem is the government does not care what you would like to see happen. Right. They are going to make acquisitions the easiest to them, even if it makes no sense to you. And once they've bought into a trend, as with everything, that trend's going to last a very long time. So just because you want it to be so, you're not going to divine it out of thin air. Understand these markets. And then that should be a vision placed into your strategy as a company. So as with every small business owner, you cannot have someone bring you market research. You must be in charge of that so that when everyone else brings you the pipeline, you can sit there and validate it. I don't agree with this. It's not going to get us where we need to be. And I'm not waiting 18 months to figure out that you guys were all wrong. 
now all of a sudden we are in a world of hurt as a small business. Certainly my closing thoughts and, and hopefully owners that are listening to this podcast will say, let me get my hands dirty just a little bit. It will pay dividends over the next five to eight years when it comes to pipeline building. I think those are great points. And you made another point about, you know, you doing the research. If you're listening to this podcast and you're over, I don't know, 50, 55 years old and you're listening to this podcast, you grew up in a culture where if you wanted to do market research, you hired a company and they did whatever magic it is, voodoo, whatever you want to call it on the back end. And they would deliver some report that was anywhere from 25 to 200 pages long about your market. And that was how market research is done. And today there are tools, we're going to talk about your tool here in a minute, where you can do this in minutes on your own with the tool. And then if you feel like, hey, this market's not working for you or there's you hit a roadblock, you can get back in the tool and do more research. In my mind, when I think about what makes companies really successful, it's their ability to be a good researcher on whatever it is, whether it is their market, whether it is, hey, we don't know how to get our messaging right. You know, researching better ways to present your message or your core competencies or your differentiators. Hey, we need to find a better capability statement. So being able to be a really good researcher is to me one of the best core skills of a business owner. These tools like yours, make it so easy without going into an infomercial on Federal Compass here. I think it's really interesting for people to check out a tool like this. We'll have some links in the bio here, but maybe give just 30 seconds a minute on what do you think are like the one or two like biggest advantages of using a tool like Federal Compass to do your research? Absolutely. And I'll start it off where you first started talking. I used to be one of those people, you would pay tens of thousands, if not, you know, six figures for me yeah. to go away for three months to write a report in PowerPoint and hand it over to you. There's two problems with that is that if you want me to do it again, I'm going to charge you that same yeah. amount of money and you're waiting three months while I'm gone. But the results you're seeing, you have no idea how I actually got from there. So I right. would say if you're looking at this, you're saying, well, I'm not a market researcher. It's not about being a market researcher. It, it, it's about willing to look at your company with an honest lens to take an honest self-assessment mm. throw the assumptions aside and ask questions. A tool like ours is set up to where as you find a piece of data, you ask a question and you just change a couple of things very simple inside the system and it dives you down into that next level. But if you can approach it from a, I honestly realize that I don't know my market that well because even the big guys don't, they don't know everything. If you can understand that, if you're willing to look at yourself in a mirror and say, you know what, we were wrong and we are willing to change, it just comes down to questions and then being able to say that our strategy, while we should not be changing it constantly, the direction of our strategy and how we're going to achieve that strategy should be open for debate and constant changing as new data invalidates what we currently thought was truth. I'll leave it at that. Well summed up there. I really appreciate it. And thank you for coming on and talking about this. I do have one final question for you. You mentioned before the show that you all have a podcast as well. What is the name of that podcast? It's our BNP podcast, which is bourbon and proposal. And for anyone that's been in this market, any amount of time where there is a tank, and there's a bunch of people working over the weekends or long periods, there is alcohol. So it's certainly a play on the reality of this market. The intent of the podcast is not to sell our product. It is to have conversations much like this, where we hope someone takes away insights in how to operate better in this market, how to run their company better, and maybe even look at their team, at the information that they're giving with the, I don't want to say a cynical eye, but a more informative eye to where they can cut through the BS, they can cut through the bias, and they can say, what's really, really important to me? Where should I be looking for the pit? 
pitfalls. And so for us, it's market experts having a really fun conversation, not too deep, but if you listen to it while you're sitting outside, having yourself a glass of bourbon or, or a beer, I think you'll come away with it, maybe looking at your processes and taking a second guess as to whether or not you're doing things the right way. Nice. That's awesome. And is it on any particular platform or all the platforms? It's actually brand new. It's actually fresh okay. out there. So we don't have any platforms yet, but I think if you if you keep on checking in on the links that, that you're kind enough to provide at the end of this, you'll certainly start seeing those come out. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I look forward to being on that podcast. You invited me on it and I look forward to listening to some of those episodes. So thank you again for coming on today, Jim. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Michael. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Game Changers. If you did, please go like and share this episode on your social media, as well as rate and review the episode. That helps other government contractors find out about the podcast and benefit just like you. We'll see you next time.